Welcome to the CSC Podcast. I'm Phil Haas, Director of Marketing and Communications for Classic Stage Company. On today's show, we'll explore the life and work of Oscar Wilde, who serves as an inspiration for the main character of CSC's current production of A Man of No Importance, next on the CSC Podcast. Hi everyone, it's Phil. On today's show, we have something a little different for you. For the past few years, CSC has hosted a series of post-show discussions at our theater entitled Classic Perspectives. We offer five of these during each of our main stage productions, and audiences can stay after the performance to discuss the play, hear more about one of the play's themes, or even go further in depth on the history or dramaturgy of the work they've just seen. After a recent performance of A Man of No Importance, producing artistic associate Zudi Boari held a Classic Perspectives talk about playwright and author Oscar Wilde. Oscar serves as an artistic hero of Alfie Byrne, the main character of A Man of No Importance. In the play, Alfie, who is played by Jim Parsons, is directing a production of Oscar Wilde's Salome and quotes Oscar's work daily in his life as a bus conductor in 1960s Dublin. For this special talk, Zudi spoke with Moises Kaufman and Andrew Lear. Moises Kaufman is a playwright and director who wrote the play Gross Indecency, The Three Trials of Oscar Wilde. Andrew Lear is a professor and LGBTQ plus historian who founded Oscar Wilde Tours. Let's take a listen to this discussion and keep in mind there are some plot spoilers about events that happen in the play. Enjoy. Hello! Welcome to Classic Stage Company. Um, I really want to begin just by saying thank you for being here. Uh, This is, we're creeping up on a year of being reopened since the pandemic, and thank you. And part of the reason that's possible is because of you and your support, uh, truly, so thank you. Um, So, and also thank you for being part of our Classic Perspective today. Uh, This is a day where we're going to celebrate Oscar Wilde, um, who is an incredible playwright and poet, and here to celebrate with me, next to me I have Andrew Lear, who is an LGBTQ plus historian and founder of the Oscar Wilde Tours. And next to him is Moises Kaufman, who is the artistic director and founder of the Tectonic Theater Project, where he wrote Gross Indecency, The Three Trials of Oscar Wilde, and he also recently directed Paradise Square on Broadway. All right, so I really want to start with um, Alfie. And why do you think that Alfie would connect to Oscar Wilde? And we're, we're here on his 168th birthday, and we're here celebrating him too. So why are we here celebrating him? It's a gigantic cultural icon, and it's actually really fascinating to think about because if you compare him to someone like Mark Twain, who's also a very clever late 19th century author, still very popular, Nonetheless, Oscar Wilde is a kind of cultural icon, which Mark Twain can only dream of being posthumously. Um, so um, I think that has to do with um, the fact that, first of all, he had a really dramatic life story. Mm. And his life story and his works seem to, they, they kind of speak to each other. I would say they almost create a kind of Gesamtkunstwerk, <laughs> in a myriad sense. There's, there's a lot of commentary in the works on his life and, and, and vice versa. Um, but I think that particularly for someone like Alfie, uh, uh, it's the same reason I 
called Oscar Wilde Tours, Oscar Wilde Tours, for a lot of people, Oscar Wilde uh, represents the gay past. And um, that's, that's probably a lot of it. But there's also uh, the fact that what Alfie needs is liberation. Right? And Oscar Wilde's message is actually quite liberatory. You know, he's, he's known for his paradoxes, right? And paradox is probably the biggest theme in his work. But his paradox is always um, overturning accepted Victorian values. And since our uh, sociocultural values are not all that different from Victorian values, actually, although maybe we take them a little less seriously because they've been around for a while now, um, he, everything he says represents a very ironic look at accepted social values. So when he said, don't one of a million things that he probably said anyway, because with Wilde, we always have the things he was said to have said. Um, <laughs> when he visited Niagara Falls, because I know Zudi was also asking about his American uh, trip, he said that Niagara Falls was the first disappointment in many American marriages. <laughs> um, now, over the years, that has been transmuted into the perhaps more amusing uh, that it's the second disappointment in many American marriages. But, uh, as far as I can see, Wilde never said that. Um, but, but it, you know, he's, he's, of course, as the British would say, cocking a snook at marriage, mm. uh, which at that point was being, you know, the, the whole sentimental way we look at marriage was at that point a recent invention of more or less Queen Victoria and Charles Dickens. <laughs> kind of invented it. And um, so, and, and Wilde does that with so many different uh, cultural values. And so he, I think for someone like, uh, first of all, he represents an, uh, someone who was, uh, involved in the arts <laughs> and proud of it and uh, for whom the arts were more important than the banalities of life and who said that frequently so that's important for Alfie. There are just so many reasons. Yeah, what about for you, uh, Moises? Yeah, I, think, I think similarly, I think there are two, two main, main themes that the play kind of explores and that is very true to Wilde. One was that Wilde was the first famous homosexual mm. and when Wilde was tried for acts of gross indecency uh, he made the front page of every newspaper around the world. So it was the first time that the concept of the homosexual uh, was transmitted into the entire world. But I always have this image that, um, you know, that there's an 11-year-old boy in Paris who's looking at a newspaper that his parents are trying to hide from him, <laughs> where in the front page there's somebody that he recognizes as somebody like him. So, you know, at the time where this play takes place, still gay representation now is it's so prevalent, right? We have television shows and novels and films and plays, but at that time in Ireland, there was so little representation. I grew up in Venezuela uh, in the 1970s and 80s. Um, so I think that for Alfie, he sees in Wilde a possibility. And I think that's what Wilde gave so many people. And the other thing is that, that, that the whole religion of Wilde was aestheticism. At the middle of the, of the, of the Industrial Revolution, where you know, Dickens depicts that world of, the, of the, the horror of the Industrial Revolution. What is aestheticism? Because that was really important for Oscar, right? Yeah, so he was saying in this moment where we're much more concerned about manufacturing things, we have to, we have to find something to battle that. The aesthetic movement is a movement that proposed beauty for beauty's sake, right? The power of the arts to heal the human spirit. Mm -hmm. um, and he advocated it all, all over. He went to Harvard, 
you know, he went to America and, and gave a lecture about aesthetics. And he was so popular in his time that Gilbert and Sullivan wrote an operetta <laughs> yeah. called Patience. So the movement, he, he was really the leader of a movement, a movement about beauty and about humanism at a time when, because of the Industrial Revolution and because Victoria Moore's, um, all of that was being thrown to the side. Do you think that he knew that he was like pushing forward a movement, or was he just... No, I, he definitely knew. He was, yeah. he was a proponent of aestheticism, and there were many other people who worked with him, but he was definitely... I mean, he knew that, and then the big question is, uh, right before the trial, Os Oscar Wilde was tried for acts of gross indecency with male persons, and he had the opportunity to flee England and not face the, the trial that finally convicted him to two years in prison. And the big question is, why did he stay? Mm -hmm. And nobody will ever tell you why, because it, we don't know. But, but my hypothesis is that he knew that he had achieved as much as he could achieve in the arts form. And he wanted his life to be the next part of the story. And uh, um, you know, the love that dare not speak his name is how many people, many gay people spoke of their affection for other uh, yeah. members of the same sex for the next century. Can you talk about some of your favorite uh, uh, poetry he, writ, he wrote or some of his plays and why you feel like people still do them today? So I, I have to say I'm not a big fan of Wilde's poetry. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, which he wrote really early in his life and uh, it's, it's awfully stagey. But the thing about Wilde is that he was an incredibly important artist in a whole range of literary genre. He wrote an important novel. He kind, he's one of the mean early writers of short stories. Mm -hmm. um, he wrote important literary essays. Uh, he wrote a, a, several different kinds of plays. After all, Alfie is trying to put on what he calls Salome. <laughs> you Americans <laughs> probably call Salome. Um, <laughs> but, um, which is not a drawing room comedy, right? In yeah. a very safer manner. Um, and he, his early plays are very different as well. So the, uh, the drawing room comedies, I guess we would call them, for yeah. which he is famous, are just one of his genre, and, and maybe were his most popular, but the picture of Dorian Gray was also very popular. His short stories were popular. His fairy tales were popular. Uh, he was also a reviewer. Um, he wrote mm. uh, thousands of reviews. So, um, yeah, what, uh, Wilde, I believe, said that there were two different ways of disliking Oscar Wilde's writing. And one, I'm not quoting accurately or cleverly enough, uh, one was disliking his writing, and the other was liking the importance of being earnest. <laughs> but um, I guess, you know, the, the paradoxical spirit that runs through all of Wilde's plays, and also through the picture of Dorian Gray, and all through the essays and things, makes, you know, every one of them is just a, a fount of gems. Yeah. What about you, Moises? Um, I don't know. I, I, I keep thinking about the stuff that he didn't put in his plays, about the stuff that he put in his life. Oh, he yeah. Was, you know, the, later on in the 40s, there was the round table, the Algonquin round table, with Dorothy Parker and Alexander Walcott and all of those people. And what I love is that uh, Dorothy Parker, who was the greatest American wig, many would say, she always said uh, that at the round table, whenever something said something amusing, they all assumed that Wilde said it. <laughs> Well, yeah. something. In case people haven't read them, by the way, read the short stories. Read Lord, Lord Arthur Chappell's Crime, uh, which is, you know, paradox, turned into a piece of work. Um, and also, what's it called, the picture of Mr. W.H.? Was the portrait of Mr. Portrait. portrait of Mr. W.H. The, the stories, which are not as well known now, are 
very worth attention. You, you mentioned his trial, and that, that's such a crucial part of his story. Um, this is somebody who literally went to jail for two years for being himself. You chose to write about that. Uh, I'm, I'm curious why and what that process was like, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about how he ended up there, too. So the play that I wrote is called Grossing the Sissy, The Three Trials of Oscar Wilde. And I wrote it because uh, somebody gave me a, a, a small book called The Wit and Wisdom of Oscar Wilde. And it was incredibly funny and incredibly, you know, and all of his wit was about making fun of the ridiculousness of Victorian society. Right? He said that there was one woman who had lost her husband and her hair had gone golden with grief. <laughs> um, so that was, that was when he was brilliant at it, like poking at the ridiculousness of the Moors. But the last 10 pages of the book were transcripts of the trial. And those 10 pages um, was the moment in the trial where the lawyer prosecuting Wilde brings out the picture of Dorian Gray. And he begins to read to Oscar Wilde from the book, from his own book. And say, Mr. Wilde, you wrote this. And he reads the picture of Dorian Gray. He says, is that moral or immoral? And uh, Wilde said famously, there's no such thing as morality or immorality in art. A book is either well-written or badly written. That is all. <laughs> and you see Alfie repeat that. This is not improper. This is art. Um, but what struck me is that I always thought that Oscar Wilde was uh, put on trial because of his homosexuality uh, and because they discovered men that he had slept with. But in reading the, the trial transcripts, you see that he was put in trial for being an artist. And so I wanted to write the play of the trial of the artist, not the trial of the homosexual. Of course, in Victorian time, they're both the same thing because the, the threat that Wilde posed by having the most important stages in London available to him, mm -hmm. right, was the same threat that he posed in their minds by sleeping with men. At the time that he went to prison, he had two plays running in the West End, The yeah. Words of Being Ernest and An Ideal Husband, and both were the highest grossing plays at the time, and both were closed soon after, soon after because he was on trial. Wow. And if you see, and if you see also, if you see The Words of Being Ernest, it's all about, uh, you know, double entendres, and uh, there was a whole thing about, you know, Ernest as a friend who's Bunbury, and whenever Ernest doesn't want to attend uh, a, a boring social event, he says, my friend Bambury is very, very sick. <laughs> to be with my friend, and that was his out. Uh, and uh, finally, Mrs. Bracknell, Lady Bracknell says, I think, that, I think that your friend, Mr. Bunbury, must decide if he wants to leave or die. <laughs> Um, and he had somebody very special to him, Bozy, right? Can either of you speak on him or? Oh, God. It's a hard subject. Uh, yeah, yeah. So Bozy Douglas, or Lord Alfred Douglas, was very, very beautiful, uh, talented, very talented young man. He, among other things, wrote the poem with the line, the love that dare not speak its name. Um, and he was also a, a narcissist at a level that can hardly be imagined. Oh, interesting. Uh, you know, he, was a, well, he was a child of crazy people, and he was pretty crazy himself. And um, Wilde kind of played out this love affair with him, which, which Bosey was also very involved in. I mean, they were very attached to each other. But um, he absolutely and completely refused to heed any warning signs that it wasn't a good idea, 
or that any limits need, needed to be placed on it. And of course, everybody told him. Uh, but he, he just refused to take it in. Yeah. There's a way in which Wilde's feet were not very on the ground. I think, I disagree with you. I think that, that I think, disagree on two counts. One, I think it was a great love of his life. Mm. Of course. Yeah. And uh, the second thing is, pe people often read uh, Bosey as, you know, arrogant or, you know, the son of crazy people. And, and I don't, I, when I read Bosey's work, he was a young poet that had great potential. And the, tra and the tragedy of Oscar Wilde didn't only happen to Oscar Wilde, it also happened to Bosey. Mm. And, and he was a, a poet that was cut, his life was cut, and then he did crazy things. But, you know, the fact that the line, the most famous line that we all know, the love that dare not speak its name, Bosey came up with that line. The only reason why we attribute this to Oscar is because Oscar quoted it in court. So this was a man who was, I think Oscar recognized in Bosey a kindred artist, and somebody who was also a devout aesthetic. Um, and he, Bosey also believed that the great cure for the terrors of Victorian society was a certain kind of art that would humanize mm. a society that was in dire need of being humanized. Um, so I think that, that we, we don't see actually, yeah, and I, I but I think that, like, but I think <laughs> that what you say, what you say is, is the most, most commonly held belief about Bosey, that, that he was the son of a madman and that he, and eventually Bosey became a Nazi. But the question is, was he that unstable before he was dragged through the public eye, or was that a result of what oh, Interesting. I would like to turn to the audience. Does anybody have uh, any questions they'd like to ask our guests about Oscar Wilder? Yeah, please. After prison, how, how long, I know you died shortly after prison, and you have five, was it five years? No. He did have support in other countries, as you said, that he had this opportunity to, to leave the country, um, chose not to, and, and I think that speaks to his, from his work perspective and, and, mm. and the way he, he's led his life, you know, um, without that regard for the social, social market. Yeah. Were there any countries that would look to accept him at that time? It's a difficult question because the, the, what he was doing, the night that Oscar Wilde was tried, the first trial, 400 men left England for the continent in a boat. So, you know, homosexuality was the thing that, that was being done. Nobody spoke about it. But what happened was that because he brought upon this trial, it became public. And then all of a sudden, everything went back 50 years. But, so that's... Yeah, well, certainly it was better yeah. In, yeah, like now. Yeah. Certainly it was better in France, yeah. which is why he was there. Um, and as people may or may not know, um, uh, I tried to add in enough words to this. Um, Same-sex relations between consenting adults became legal in France, or no longer illegal, in 1791. Well, there we go. So, yeah. uh, this not, which is not to say that French society was particularly accepting of same-sex relations, particularly between men. But it was, there was no law against it. But here's, here's an interesting story. Um, there was a production of The Importance of Being Earnest in 1954 with Sir John Gilgood in the West End. And David Evans, who was in the movie, who says the word handbag in seven syllables. They're rehearsing The Importance of Being Earnest, and it's imagined John Gilgood 
and it is heaven. So it was like two of the biggest stars of the English stage. This is a major production. Everyone is waiting for it. And John Gilgood, one night, has a couple of drinks and goes cottage. Anybody know what cottage is? A cottage is an English word for bathrooms. So outdoor bathrooms. So he went to a public bathroom and had a liaison with a man. And so he, he went to jail. John Gilgood yeah. was arrested while he was in rehearsals for the importance of her. Oh my gosh. So he gets arrested and uh, it's in the front of every paper. He comes back to, and of course he was being, he was being blamed with the same law that went against Oscar Wilde, with actual gross indecency. He was being charged wow. with actual gross indecency. So he comes back into the rehearsal room. They, they, they let him out of bail. He comes back into the rehearsal room and all the actors are incredibly tense. Because here he's coming, how are we gonna face? What do you say to an actor that's been caught having sex in a bathroom? So they're all, like he enters, everyone is looking away, and they meet in heaven, he's, he's sitting at a table looking at her screen. And she looks up and she sees what's happening, that all the other actors are so uncomfortable, and Gilgood is coming in and he's looking down at the floor, he's not looking at everybody. And she says loud enough that everybody can hear, she says, I hear someone's been a naughty boy. <laughs> and to me, you know, there, there are several actors here from tonight's beautiful, from today's beautiful play. Thank you for doing this gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous work. But the ending of the play reminded me of that moment. Yes. What she says there, you know, I hear someone's been a naughty boy. You know, like when you come, when, when, when Robbie, mm -hmm. when Robbie comes back to him and says, I know everything, I knew it all along. It's such a poignant moment. It was a beautiful gift to you, to us, to the audience. On that note, thank you guys so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thank you again to our guests, Moises Kaufman and Andrew Lear. If you like this conversation, you can experience one live at our theater after one of our shows. Visit classicstage.org for more information. Once again, I'm Phil Haas, and I hope you'll join us again for the next episode of the CSC Podcast. Take care.